Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. Chelsea Conaboy is the author of Mother Brain, How Neuroscience is Rewriting the Story of Motherhood. This is one of our guest-hosted episodes by Allison Pataki. Chelsea is a journalist specializing in personal and public health. She was part of the Boston Globe's prize-winning team for coverage of the Boston Marathon bombing, and more recently has worked as a magazine writer with bylines at Mother Jones, Politico, The Week, The Boston Globe Magazine, and others. She lives in Maine with her husband, their two young sons, and her own changing maternal brain. Hello, everybody. Allison Pataki here, and I am with Chelsea Conaboy, author of Mother Brain, How Neuroscience is Rewriting the story of parenthood. Chelsea, thank you for chatting today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. Well, congratulations on this book on Mother Brain. It, I know as a mother of three myself, I found it to be very, very valuable. And I know, uh, I know that's the case for many others. Can you tell us 
about this book and why you wrote it and how you wrote it? Yeah, this book really started with my own experience of of new motherhood. You know, I, I my my first son was born in 2015. I had worked for a long time as a health and science journalist. At the time, I was an editor at a newspaper here in in Maine, where I live. And my son, I, I felt really kind of capable going into uh, new motherhood. You know, I had a a good job and a great husband, and felt like I had done all the reading, you know, that I possibly could. And, um, it just felt like as, as informed as I could be. And then my son arrived and I went through this, you know, major change. And I really didn't have the words to describe what I was experiencing. And in particular, I felt like really overwhelmed with worry. My my son was born on on the small side. He was under six pounds and we had just moved into a new house. And I just I worried about I worried about his safety and his growth. And then I also worried about the worry itself. I felt like I was it was somehow like crowding out the things that maybe I was supposed to feel like the overwhelming warmth and certainty at having arrived at motherhood. And so this book is really like the response to that for me. And I went looking for answers and, and really found them in the science of the parental brain. And, and we, it really finding this research really kind of changed my complete outlook on, on my early postpartum experience. You know, I wasn't I realized really that I wasn't broken or like there wasn't some sort of missing maternal instinct for me, but I was going through this major upheaval that was helping me to become the parent that my, my son needed to be. So, yeah. yeah. You talk about this maternal instinct and this image so many of us have of just this instant mother love, this rosy view that we see our newborn and we instantly fall in love and the instincts and the hormones will help us to know exactly what to do. And you say, that is about as accurate as the Disney narrative of a young, beautiful girl who meets her prince, sight unseen, they fall in yeah. love, and they live happily ever after, yeah. right? And so, yeah. so what is this narrative we are living with? And why is it important that you examined it and sort of, yeah. as you said, offer a response to that? Yeah, it's a, it is a fairy tale it is not it is not reality so as i started really looking at the science and seeing how how much this was a period of of real development for a parent and you know the science is on the new it's relatively new but we've had like the beginnings of it for half a century you know we've had this like pretty robust animal literature and then these brain imaging studies that have built on that in last in the last 20 years or so i started really asking like why aren't we talking about this more why isn't it part of prenatal education or our broader cultural conversation about what it means to be a parent and i went back to this idea that i kept coming back to this idea that we have it's because we have a different story in its place. We have this story about maternal instinct. And even if we don't, you, you know, when I was pregnant, I don't think I would have really recognized maternal instinct as like a fact, like a scientific fact, but it's still so embedded in how we experience pregnancy and new parenthood. Like it's so much a part of how we talk about that time of life. And if it's not maternal instinct, it's it's at least this part 
this like belief that, you know, your baby is born and you're flooded with oxytocin and they're flooded with oxytocin and you begin breastfeeding and like the bond is sealed. (laughs) And it's just much more complicated than that. And when I went back and started looking at the history of that idea, specifically it's, it's entry into scientific theory. I really recognized that it was not ever science. It was really a, a you know religious men, men who who were you know entrenched in in cultural ideas of of moral motherhood, kind of cloaking that those beliefs in science, and and then that being carried forward, really belief, not 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 fact, <laughs> and um, that. I, I wanted to kind of peel that away and see, well, what is the science actually telling us? Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. So I remember the, I also had a baby in 2015, my first, uh, and I remember the, when she came out finally after this long birth, I had had such a traumatic pregnancy mm-hmm. and lead up to her arrival that I was so afraid that if I were to look at her and something were to be wrong with her, I didn't mm-hmm. think I would be able to handle that and process Mm. that. And so I like could not bring myself to look at her. And I remember Mm. the labor and delivery nurse saying, look at your baby, look at your baby. She's here. And I just remember thinking exactly as you said, like, there's something so wrong with me that I'm scared. I was scared. I was scared and I was traumatized. But anyway, you are very honest in this book about your own experience uh, with anxiety. And you, you go into, you know, I think you say one in five uh, new parents develop some sort of disorder or mood or anxiety around the postpartum period. And you say, there's, there's a lot that we could be doing better here and talking about this more. Can you, can you talk about this? more? Yeah. So <laughs> um, it's tricky. So one in five is like the commonly used statistic, but the reality is that it's really hard to quantify it yes. for a few reasons. It's, it's hard to study this. There's still so much stigma, stigma around it. And also the reality is that pregnancy and labor and breastfeeding and new parenthood and new parenthood for non-gestational parents included, yeah. it's such a spectrum of adaptation and distress. So like the, I actually believe that stress distress is, is kind of an inherent part of the process. And so where, where you kind of cut off what, what's adaptive and what's clinical or maladaptive, you know, what, when does it be tip into like a place of being a problem? It's really hard to, to, to know. And so in my mind, what we actually need to do is normalize the fact that this distress happens for everyone and build up supports for everyone. And so those people who, who really struggle in it will sort of have, have supports available to them, but also those of us who struggle just a little less, you know, and, or perhaps have social supports around us already also will have resources and knowledge available to us. And so I I guess the point, my point is, is this is a major stage of development for parents also. And so often we spend all of this time looking, learning about our bodies and what they're going through during pregnancy. And then as soon as baby arrives, our focus is on child development and there isn't any focus on parent development. And it's real, it's real. And it's, and it's 
really fundamental. It's neurobiological. Mm -hmm. And so there are things that we can control in that time. And there are things that we can't control in that time. And we need to be prepared for all of that. Um, And so you asked, what can we do differently? I, I typically talk about kind of three areas that we can do differently. One, I, I, our social policies, our lack of paid leave in particular in this country is really shameful. We're one in six countries in the world that lack maternal paid maternity leave. And we have all of the reasons kind of already in terms of health outcomes and mental health outcomes and economic, you know, workforce reinforcement, <laughs> like it's good for the economy, it's good for families, but also it's good for giving parents this time of development for themselves to adapt to this role, to connect with their baby in the ways that they need to, the ways that their brains need to. Yeah. And clinical care, you know, we have one standard postpartum six-week appointment And the rest of our time, it's kind of a wasteland and it doesn't have to be, we leave so many people to struggle before that six week mark and so many to struggle after that time. And, you know, the American College of OBGYNs has called for like a better improved approach and there hasn't been a lot of movement on that yet. And then the third arena, I just think, and I'm hoping that this book could be a part of this is just to, to change how we talk to one another about what new parenthood is and what it feels like and what we experience when we go through it and to make, to normalize, you know, talking about the distress and, and, and the adaptation, you know, the benefits that come from, from these changes. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72. 
a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Moms Don't Have Time. Yeah. The changes are as significant in our brain as the period of puberty. You point that out. I was blown away by that. What is happening? Like, what are the changes that are happening in our brains and bodies when we become parents? Yeah. So the there are two things that really shape the parental brain. One, it, it, hormones and and experience. And so that's true mm-hmm. kind of across all parents. You know, we you, fathers and other non-gestational parents also have pretty significant hormonal shifts. Um, and then our babies are these really powerful stimuli for the brain. So these hormonal shifts are kind of priming us to to be ready to receive the cues that they give us. And in gestational parents in particular, it's this, and I bet this will feel familiar to you, but these changes sort of compel us that push us into this hyper-responsive period. So there's an increase in activity and connectivity in brain regions involved in motivation, meaning-making, and vigilance. Mm-hmm. And I see that as serving really two roles. One is to, to really keep us paying attention to our babies who need who need our attention, who are All these the tiny, yes, exactly, <laughs> vulnerable creatures who, for their survival, they need they need our attention. And we might not have the practical skills to care for them, but we our attention keeps us trying, you know? Yeah. And and then it, the other point, uh, the other role I see that that really, that drive is, is to push us into this intense period of learning. We go back again and again and try to read their cues and figure out how to meet their needs. And over time, the systems in our brain that are really involved previously have been involved in and reading our own body's cues and figuring mm-hmm. out how to how to manage our own energy and mm-hmm. and meet our own needs they're they're essentially like extended to now also include our children's needs and we yeah. get better over time at predicting how to meet them and so our social cognition changes those systems that are that are involved in, in, in learning another person. And we also get better, it's thought we get better at regulating our own emotions in that process. And that those are the things that last, that emotion regulation, our social cognition, and also our ability to like change with our kids, our flexibility. Mm-hmm. And because they're constantly growing and changing and we have to adjust also. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, you say it so beautifully. The sense of self extends a little further to incorporate this this human that has been born from us. So when you talk to, to people about the fact that you were researching and writing this book, or, or now that the book is out there, and you explained it was mother brain, oftentimes people would say, oh, mom brain, mom brain. And it's this thought of like, oh, I forget what's on the calendar, or I right. forgot the grocery list or whatnot. So can you talk about mom brain and the sort of this perception we have versus what you're going into here with mother brain? If we talk about mother's brains at all, normally we talk about that like caricature of the forgetful frazzled woman who can't keep it all together. Yes. And so, you know, there is, there, there is research, particularly during late pregnancy that, that points to deficits in memory, but 
it's the they're they're small and they're typically small and 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 temporary and what we see over time and instead is that they're it's possible that there's cognitive gains and researchers are so in in the animal literature it's pretty clear that for example in rodents like rat mothers also have memory loss during pregnancy but then they gain all of these skills this like improvement in spatial memory and long-term cognition and then they're protected from the effects of stress and aging and and so it's really clear that like there's a benefit for them and researchers are just getting past this this idea of like trying to measure the memory deficits in in women and starting to look like more holistically at what what are like the what's the mental load (laughs) in this time of life and how do we measure cognitive um, function within that context. So like we have many more demands and, and how are we managing them? And there are some like very early indications that we're managing them well, (laughs) that like there is growth in that time. And, and then there are these fascinating sets of studies that look at older, the brains of older adults. I loved that. I loved your discussion about the grandparents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The grandparents. And then there are these, these studies that look at, at brain imaging, these big data banks of of brain imaging in the, in Australia and in the UK and compare. So these are adults who are in their fifties, sixties and seventies and older, and they're comparing parents and non-parents and finding that the brains of parents are what researchers refer to as younger looking. So they have fewer effects of aging. And it's thought that like, it makes sense when you think about it, like parenting is this huge cognitive demand. Like we're constantly having to adjust and change and, and learn new things and do all of the things that, that researchers know are protective against aging, you know, like keep working our brains in complex social ways. And, and so I just love those studies because they're such a counterpoint to this idea that we are hindered by motherhood. Oh my and goodness. The yeah. exact opposite may be true. Yeah. Bring on all the anti-aging studies. Yes. <laughs> so what was your process like researching and writing mm-hmm. this book? How was that yeah. for you? Oh man. So I left my job at the newspaper in 2017 after my second son was born and I, I started freelancing full-time and, and I wrote a magazine story for the Boston Globe magazine about about this research, uh, specifically about the maternal brain and how how it, how it helped me kind of grapple with my own experience. And I had been thinking that there probably would be a book involved, or that there was a book there. Like, but then that article really went viral. I mean, there was just so much interest, and people really related to it. And I realized, like, oh, there's an audience here for sure. And um, so I got a book deal in 2019 and I really did like, you know, probably six months of intensive research and I was kind of ready to like start doing some reporting trips and and buckle down to get the writing started. And then the pandemic hit. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) travel and research trips. Yeah, exactly. And so it really shifted how I was going to write and report the book. And it really shifted like my time. And we had two young kids, my husband and I are both self-employed. So we did what so many people did and just started the juggle, splitting our days and working on weekends and finding the time wherever we could. Yeah. And yeah, the, the reporting process was really interesting because it, 
it took me in so many different directions that I hadn't originally planned on, including into deeper into the work research on non-gestational parents, deeper into evolutionary history. You mentioned grandmothers. And, yeah. Yeah. and then I kind of, in some ways got angrier the longer I researched it. And so like it had a stronger voice in the end, I think, than Mm -hmm. I had originally anticipated, which I think all of that was good for the book. But, Mm -hmm. and it really made me grapple in a deeper way than I expected with my own beliefs around parenthood and things like attachment theory and just how what a good parent looked like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That was, I loved when you talked about attachment theory, so much good stuff and how perfect that we are talking about mothers and brains and thinking on moms don't have time to read books while you were talking about how you found time and thank goodness (laughs) you did. What advice would you have with other aspiring writers with with other authors? Oh yeah. I mean, So my advice is, I guess there's like a fearlessness (laughs) that you have to have to do this work and um, particularly with like rejection, right? So, Mm. so one of my, when I became a freelancer, you know, it's just a totally different world having to kind of be pitching all the time. And I think the same goes for writing book proposals. And, and one of my, one of my good friend's father who worked in finance, but he, he was like a advisor. So he was, he was someone who early in his career had to do a lot of cold calls. And he told me that he came up with like a formula so that he, he knew that he had to get, I don't know, just like pulling numbers out of the air, like 15 no's before he would get a yes. Mm. And so he started thinking about every rejection as progress towards a yes. And that really changed how I felt about rejection. Like I started creating spreadsheets when I was pitching an article, I would have like three or four other editors lined up to pitch the article to next. So if I I assumed I was going to get a no and I was just going to go on to the next one and that 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 like that really that like sense of rejection as progress really helped me so so much and there's a lot of that whether you're like pitching your book to people you know who you're hoping will do things like this a podcast or or um if you're getting ready to pitch a a book proposal there's just so much rejection in this work and you can't you have to find a way to not take it personal and that that was really helpful to me to think about it. I'm like, okay, I'm one more, one more step closer. That is so good. That is so good. And probably the, the data seeker and analyst, and you probably really appreciated the numbers yes, and exactly. just the, the whole idea behind that. Well, that is so great. Well, readers have not rejected this book. And so for readers who want to know all about you and keep up with your progress, Chelsea, and learn more about Mother Brain how can we connect with you? Yeah, they can find me at motherbrainbook.com and I have a a newsletter there as well. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So Chelsea, what are you working on next? Oh, that's a really good question. Other than obviously this wonderful book. Yes, (laughs) I I have some ideas that haven't completely come together yet, but I think we'll have like a similar mix of science and, and narrative and probably family and community, like figuring out how... How can we change those things for the better? Awesome. Well, we will look out for that. Chelsea Conaboy, author of Mother Brain, How Neuroscience is Rewriting 
the story of parenthood. Chelsea, thank you so much for chatting today. Thank you, Allison. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.